Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. We've heard the phrase time and time again, I only hire A players. And while that might be true for some businesses, it's notoriously tricky to really know. The hiring process has spawned a million blog posts that attempt to answer, successfully or otherwise, the questions we all have. What exactly does an A player look like? And how the heck are you supposed to know for sure during an interview? Well, luckily, today's guest is more than equipped to drop some truth bombs on us. I'm sure all of the listeners can come up with one example where they hired someone and probably multiple examples where they hired someone who was really technically sounded really good at the job, but kind of a jerk or maybe a real jerk. And uh, it's detrimental. Today, we meet Chris Mersow, president of Top Grading, a market leading company that helps organizations find A players and hold on to them. We discuss how to motivate and retain high performers, what you should and shouldn't do in an exit interview, and whether those personality profile tests are worth your time. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Stryer. Stay with us. Top Grading has carved out a place of its own in the often confusing world of employee intake. And it all makes total sense when you consider Chris Mercell's background of business meets psychology. Initially, going into psychology, I thought, hey, maybe I'll like to be a psychologist. And the thought of two things. One, going on for four years to get a PhD right away. And that was minor. The other was doing therapy and listening to other people's problems all day or that prospect uh, became a little bit less attractive the more I got to uh, got to really know about it. I really can't tell you where the thought about, you know, let's maybe combine psychology and business came from, but somewhere in there, it happened. So I actually have a minor in business um, in, in undergrad. And then believe it or not, connected to what I've been doing for the past 20 years, the guy who created top grading and uh, had been doing it for a long time and had written several books on it up to that point, Brad Smart was a family friend. And I read his book in college and thought, all right, this is really interesting. I didn't even really know that kind of thing existed, you know, figuring out who is the right person to put uh, in an open position, read the book, and uh, then thought, maybe I'll do this a little bit later. Believe it or not, uh, sold cell phones for about a year and then decided to uh, get an MBA and uh, start an actual, actual career. Nice. You know, so I, I was going to, you kind of already answered my question, you know, on, on LinkedIn, it shows you went from boom, you got your MBA. And then the next thing you know, you're the VP at top grading. So what happened in that year and how did you, you know, go, go straight to VP and, and now so, president? Right. And so the, the reason of uh, going straight to VP 
was because at that point, Top Green is a pretty small company. It was uh, largely, you know, me and Brad. Uh, we had a great assistant and then some other people that we pass work off to. Um, so it was, frankly, in the early days, especially a little bit to hide my youth or to at least initially hide my youth. People will know about how old I was when, you know, eventually talked with them and met with them. Uh, but uh, it just, we figured it would help help, uh, you know, build a little credibility by being the vice, uh, the vice president. You know, I wasn't planning on going here, but, but I think you led me right to this next question. So many, many businesses are now doing the Gino Wickman traction thing. And Gino has the, the accountability chart and they really de-emphasize titles. But just as you said, titles carry weight. You know, I'm not going to, if I put someone in sales, I'm not going to say the sales rep, you know, I might say director of strategy or, or something, What's your thoughts on that and the accountability and just the, the title itself and that credibility? I'm somewhere in between, you know, titles being extremely important and they're not being important at all. I think it really lies in uh, somewhere in the middle because I've certainly seen inflated titles when you, you mentioned some a sales rep, you know, and, and someone maybe titled sales executive. And you get them on the phone and you realize they've just been doing inside sales for a few months, you know, and so, but, you know, you need to give them a little bit of thought. And, you know, I know we'll probably at least at some point uh, talk a bit about recruiting. And for me, that's where the titles really are important. So you're attracting the right type of people and not the wrong type of people. So being thoughtful on those titles um, that you put on job postings. Definitely, you know, we talk to and work with our clients on that, thinking about what should that title be to attract the right level of person. And I'm glad, glad you just jumped right in there for the, you know, with 20 years of experience and, and, and working with many businesses and evaluating their hiring processes and the success of a business, let's jump right in and just focus on recruiting. So how much importance should a business place on the recruiting methods in terms of its overall business strategy? If the leadership team or the leader of the business really believes that people are their most important resource or some phrasing of, of that idea, and I really do believe many, if not most leaders uh, do believe that, it is extremely important to focus time on getting your hiring process right as much time as you spend getting any other process in the business uh, business right. And on the flip side of that, you know, as we are engaging with clients and with new companies and in new firms, we see the opposite very often where hiring is a lot more of an afterthought than focused on as a strategic business process. And really for us, our overall goal at Top Green is to help our clients get the right people in the right jobs consistently you know, and part of that is getting hiring to be really focused on as a strategic business process because it should be. I completely agree. And what, what comes to mind to me is, you know, I'm a big NCAA college basketball fan. And like every year they're, they're top players, they're A plus players go to the NBA. It's like, imagine if you're a business owner and your top players went, to, you know, left you every single year and you didn't have that set up. So what's, what's the potential cost of hiring the wrong person? In a word, astronomical. And frankly, it really is astronomical, whether you're thinking about the cost of hiring or mishiring an entry-level person or an executive. Now, the numbers are much bigger. 
you know, when you get to the executive level. Um, but it's also expensive when we're talking about your entry level folks, you know, often your entry level employees have the most contact with your clients or customers in the entire company. And so they're the face of the, the company or the firm to your customers and clients. So we need to really focus on that as well. What we found, we've done research on this from kind of top to bottom in an organization, you know, in terms of making a hiring mistake at the lower level, you know, we found that even, you know, let's say cashiers in a grocery store, it costs about one time their annual compensation. So one X their annual compensation when you get that wrong. And then moving up to the executive level, uh, we found that that can, you know, on average, it's about 24 times that person's uh, base salary when you get the hiring mis- uh, the hiring decision wrong. That's ex- very extreme. I didn't think it would have that big of an impact, even from the bottom level. I, could, I, I see it from the executives when they have a lot of direct reports and a lot of that thought leadership passes down. So let's talk about the tough situation. You, you know, the business owners hired someone, they've kind of let these individuals kind of coast, right? And they've got these, I guess, C or D, whatever players, you know, what's your approach? Do you, do you go through the PIP, the performance improvement plan, or is it just, Hey, they're the wrong fit. See you later. Let them free. <laughs> I'll say it depends. And I'll tell you what it depends on, at least from, uh, from our perspective, I'll say though, in terms of just overall, when you do fire someone or help them move on to the next, uh, next phase of their career, it's really important that it's fair. One thing that we do very unfairly when we hire someone new or move someone into a new position is we do let them coast. And often we let them coast without really articulating what the expectations are. You know, so they don't really know. We're not talking about those expectations. We're not coaching them and giving them the support they, you know, they might need to meet or exceed our expectations. And then, you know, what happens? You finally get frustrated enough and we bring a banker's box in on Friday afternoon. And, you know, that is just, that's completely unfair, um, especially from our perspective. So uh, what you ideally do is you do lay out those expectations. And, you know, we, we in our client, we help our clients and our clients do create uh, things called job scorecards, where the performance that someone needs to um, deliver to be considered a high performer is clearly spelled out with very clear metrics. So it's very clear whether or not that person met or did not meet the performance expectations in that area. And as importantly, we rate or we, we list the core values. And you know, some firms have them, some firms don't. But if you do, what are the core values? What does everyone need to exhibit to really be a good culture fit? And then there are, of course, a, a bunch of other behavioral competencies where someone needs to be excellent or at least okay to be effective in that role. So we put all of those things on the job scorecard and share that with that person and say, hey, here are expectations. Ideally, we do that the first day they're in that job so they know from the start. But if not, uh, we, you create the job scorecard and say, you know, hey, I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah, here are the expectations. Let's talk them through. Let's talk through where you uh, might be meeting, where you might be falling short. And, uh, you know, that kind of acts as the basis of your, your PIP or your performance improvement plan. You know, and then you talk about that consistently. After some time, one of a couple things is going to happen. One, they're going to be making progress. Two, they might say, you know, well, like, hey, thanks a lot. I wish you'd have done this a couple of years ago when I started, but I guess better late than never. And they actually rise to the occasion. And then there are other times where you do certainly have the wrong person in the wrong job and you need to do something about it. And it also depends on why they're the wrong person. If they maybe don't have the skill, 
to do it, you know, teach them, try. And if they just can't get there, you know, give them a chance and give them some coaching. And then think about giving them a, a fair severance when they, when they do leave, because really it's your fault, whoever you are, it's your fault for making that hiring decision um, in the first place and offering them the job. So you don't need to be fair that way. Guys, I'll say in the other direction, I mean, if you have somebody doing something egregious, make a decision. I mean, that's kind of an obvious one if somebody is doing something egregious. And if you have someone who is just not a good culture fit, maybe even toxic to the culture, you want to move on that person sooner rather than later because they're really doing damage and actually um, increasing the potential that you'll lose other eight players on the team. I think everything you just said there is gold. And I'll probably have to listen to that several times because there's just so many nuggets there. One of the things I love that you mentioned is the scorecard. It's no longer... Chris, the mean guy that doesn't like me, it's here's the objective data that says you're not performing at the level that we need. I think those decisions are easier. Absolutely. It makes, and, and, you know, managing people, um, it might be easy for some, but it's not easy for a lot of people. The job scorecard though does make managing others and especially managing performance and behaviors easier than it is without. Absolutely. So let's switch over to the A players, you know, in the broadest sense, tossing the softball up for the, for this question, what is your definition of an A player? So two components. One is uh, they're a high performer. So they deliver the results you expect a high performer to deliver. And the other part of the definition is that they fit your culture. So simply a high performer who fits the culture, you know, a little bit more technical, but believe it or not, amorphous definition is someone who is in the top 10% of talent available for the pay. So for us, that actually for the pay piece, you know, and if you want to put high performer for the pay, it's really important because we're not saying you have to pay at the top of the pay range for whatever that job is kind of in the world or in the country. What we're saying is, you know, figure out what you can afford connected with your business goals and then get someone who is in the top 10% of talent available, willing to do the job for that amount of compensation. You know, one of the things I've heard, and I kind of wanted to just get your feedback on this because I'm a little bit contrarian, go against the common quotes that you've heard, but, but I kind of want to get your feedback on this. It's like, you've heard that, that all A players always work for someone else. Oh, you, you don't need to, when you're hiring, you don't, don't go to Indeed, don't go to ZipRecruiter. The best players are already working for someone else. You know, is that true? Is, is there some level of truth to that? Chris, there's certainly some level of truth to that. Um, I'm not going to say it's an absolute. You know, and and you know, now with COVID and a lot of cutbacks in some you know, industries like hospitality, you know, we say, you know, cut to the bone and cut maybe far into the bone, meaning they've laid off a lot of A players. Um, so in kind of normal times, about 25% of the people who are in your talent pool. So available to do the job for that amount of pay, not saying they're going to be a great fit, but they're just willing to do, do the job that you have for them. About 25% are out looking for a new job at any given time. The other part of that though, is somewhere between 60 and 80% of the people in that talent pool are willing to talk and listen about a new opportunity. Again, it's not an absolute but for us, as we're you know screening candidates and, and, and interviewing candidates um, and looking at their backgrounds, being currently employed is certainly 
a green flag, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, whether or not someone might be an A player in their current role or not. And so I'm not sure if you were going here, but I will. And that is you need a way to get connected with those passive candidates. And, you know, what we've actually seen recently is in a lot of areas, there's a higher volume of people applying to job ads, whether it's Indeed or ZipRecruiter or companies' uh, career pages, especially the job boards though. But in that increased number of applicants, there's a smaller percentage of people who are even qualified. So a lot of layoffs have happened. There's a lot of people on the market, but a lot of those people are sending uh, the resumes or applying automatically based on some keywords in the job ads. And so it's especially important now to have a way to connect with those passive candidates because A players as well, and this is a bit of my educated guess on this, uh, I don't have any direct research, but I'm guessing that A players who are currently employed and whose firm or company seems somewhat stable might not be looking as much as they would have been maybe last January. So, you know, they're like, hey, I've got something that's at least decent going on. The future looks pretty stable. I'm going to stay here even if they don't like their job or, you know, they're being maybe worked a lot harder than they would like to, you know, 80 or 90 or 100 hours a week versus the 60 that they prefer to be working. Um, they might be sitting tight. And I think they are sitting tight right now versus out there looking and hoping that you have a, a newer, a better opportunity for them. Yeah, and I would completely agree with that, especially with the kind of the uncertainty for many industries right now, uh, even legal, most of our audience being personal injury attorneys when there's a lot less cars on the road. So there's a lot less auto accidents and you know, that just impacts everyone in regards to that niche and that industry and kind of playing on and staying on the A player side of things. Let's say you have like a mid management so maybe even a little bit more responsibility and you're, you're going through this process of, of trying to recruit an A player and you're just struggling to find one, you know, what's the, for that level of importance, is it just hold out until you get the A player? Is it try to groom the B player to the A player? You know, what's kind of your advice on some of these roles that, that require a lot more responsibility for the organization? I apologize because a lot of my answers start with, it depends, but it depends. And there are some, you know, some certain scenarios there where, uh, where we can get a little bit better answers. And so it depends on the stage of the, the firm. I was talking to a startup this morning. They have two employees and they are looking to hire two of potentially the most important people in the, the company for the next several years. So those two people, those two new hires cannot be developmental candidates. They need to walk in the door being 97% competent and able to do the job. There might be a little bit that they have to learn, but in terms of the core of the job, they have to be able to do it extremely well the day they walk in the door. So that's one situation. Another situation, I was actually talking to that same client about another company and this company has been on the best places to work lists, like national lists for over 20 years. They have a wonderful developmental culture and they were looking to uh, hire a new regional vice president. And this new regional vice president was going to have one of the long-term regional vice presidents as a mentor, like a day or two a week. And so in that instance, they could hire a bit more of a developmental candidate because they had a leadership development and a really good mentor who is going to be focusing on this person uh, going forward. So, you know, you need to be thoughtful about those variables. What do you need? 
what is your capacity as a, a coach and a mentor and a developer of people? And uh, what resources do you have? And you know, it, the fewer resources you have, the less time you have to coach and mentor, the closer to perfect your, uh, your candidate really needs to be. But one thing you said really uh, importantly, Chris, there are a lot of positions right now even where candidates for those roles are in extremely high demand. And so getting creative about the types of people that you bring in or how you get people into that role, especially mid-manager. I know it's not a quick answer, but thinking about, you know, let's get people when they're earlier in their career and hire them into a lower level position and groom them for those mid-manager positions. It's certainly something worth uh, putting some time and effort into that. I was going to, I was going to ask this to you, but I've always heard, you know, hire for attitude over aptitude. You know, what, what would be your thought process on, on that, that general saying that you've heard, hire for attitude over aptitude? I'm sure all of the listeners can come up with one example where they hired someone and probably multiple examples where they hired someone who was really technically sound and really good at the job, but kind of a jerk or maybe a real jerk in whatever uh, way that's being described. And uh, it's detrimental. You know, it's, it's really difficult to get the return on those technical skills when all of the noise of a culture misfit is kind of covering that up and, and such. So it will be extremely important for those two hires into that startup to be really technically sound and also be a, a good culture fit for where they are. And Christina kind of brings up or kind of a connected to another point. And that is when your firm is at different stages, you know, your definition of a player may be a little bit different. And so where you were going with, you know, would we maybe accept someone who wasn't a perfect culture fit, maybe just an okay culture fit, if they had great skills and had grown businesses before and got them off the ground? Absolutely would consider that as long as, you know, they're not extremely weak culturally to the point where they might be toxic. Let's go to top grading. So, you know, what in what ways does top grading support, let's say, personal injury law firms who want to hire top talent? We do that in, in kind of several different ways and in two big buckets. Either one, we can actually help assess candidates for key roles. So, you know, doing uh, you know, really good job scorecards and then uh, doing we call them top grading interviews. That's really the, the magic of the top grading process is a chronological and in-depth and structured interview that we do with uh, finalist candidates. So anyone has ever heard anything about top grading, so often it's connected with a three or four hour interview. And someone who is either going to maybe come in as a partner or be on a, a partner track a little later in their career. So they're on a partner track and maybe very uh, quickly going to get there, expected to get there quickly. It very well may be worth, there may be a great return on investment there um, because we're really good insurance against making a hiring mistake. Um, you know, when we do this for, for clients, our recommendations are about 90% accurate. Um, when uh, we say hire someone, about 90% of the time they turn out to be the A player that everyone was expecting. Even us experts, we don't get it right 100% of the time because we're still talking about people. And uh, you know, some there's, there are a lot of variables there to get right, um, but we can really reduce the risk there. And then, especially for uh, positions a little lower in the firm, you know, maybe your first year associates and uh, paralegals and such, we can teach you how to use our methods and use our software. And if you're uh, posting jobs, we have 
a neat little piece of software that helps screen those applicants down to those who are really qualified for the job. So you can focus on just the, uh, the highest quality applicants and we can teach you how to do that. So training, um, we uh, tend to do a little bit of consulting and help get that hiring process right. And uh, then maybe create a couple of job scorecards with you, do some coaching interviews. And uh, we have clients, we actually have a bunch, 50 or so case studies up at this point where with our help at the front often and for smaller companies, just by getting some training and using the software, they've been able to achieve an 85% hiring success rate. That's sort of our punchline. You know, and our goal really with top grading is to 85% of the time get an A player into an open position. Absolutely. I love all that. And one other question, everyone talks about retrospectives and postmortems and all these things to continuously improve. Mm -hmm. What about, this is one that we haven't implemented. And I kind of wanted to get your, your opinion on this is the, the employee exit interview. I've always myself being an owner, and maybe it's because I didn't have the scorecard metrics for everything. And I haven't done it as, as well as obviously the top grading system, but uh, what's your thoughts on those employee exit interviews? Are they kind of a necessity is it, is it, or are those retrospectives for something else? I'd recommend trying to do them, you know, when you, when you lose someone. And I would say especially, especially when uh, the person who is leaving is an A player and you're really disappointed mm-hmm. that they're leaving, talk with them and, and figure out why. And, you know, it might be very, a very good reason, like, it's a better opportunity or, you know, my spouse is moving and, and I need to go, I need to go with her. It could also be like, you know what? I thought I was going to have some advancement opportunities. I've been doing the same thing for five years and I've been bored for two. So especially when you're a players leave. And the thing is you have a higher probability of getting some good data when you're not a players leave. You're never quite sure what mindset they're in, you know, whether they're uh, you know, they might just be, looking to kind of stick it to you or, you know, looking at it through a little bit different lens than uh, what might be accurate. That's great advice there. So Chris, as we're, as we're finishing up here, we got a three for three quick fire round, just right. three questions in three minutes here. So the first question, what is your top search engine optimization tip? Total curveball. Oh, Chris, unfortunately you're talking to the wrong guy. I know we're doing it. I know we're doing it. This is, I have people for that. <laughs> That's a good answer. We do have have a team. I know it's going on. And I apologize. I can't even answer the question. I kind of know what SEO is. uh, But as far as tips, I'm the wrong guy to ask. (laughs) I think your answer is great. Hire the right people. Delegate and elevate. Uh, Okay, so next one. You'll like this one. So which entrepreneur do you admire the most? Uh, Which entrepreneur? I'm going to give you a guy who uh, I admire for a couple of reasons, because he's resilient and because he also knew how to put a team together. I mean, we never worked, we never worked with Apple, but the way Steve Jobs developed products was directly in line with our philosophy. And we actually use a quote, I use a quote in presentations, um, and it's uh, something to the effect of a small team of A players will run circles around a big team of B and Cs. I love it. So final question here, what's the next thing on your bucket list? Not that original, but I am really eager to get out to the mountains and ski this winter and just crossing fingers that we're absolutely, we're going to be able to, uh, to do it. So I missed it last year. Everything got shut down a little bit too quickly and I'm eager to get uh, some fresh mountain air. 
Chris Mersau is an innovator in the world of intake. Some of the statistics that he shared about the financial ramifications and cost savings relating to hiring are truly eye-opening. And I would recommend anyone interested to dive in deep and to check out the top grading website where you'll find a calculator that tells you exactly the cost of hiring wrong. It's scary stuff. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Stryer. A big thanks to Chris Mersau for joining us. And you'll find more information on our conversation in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. What's your hack for verifying an A player during interviews? Drop us a review and let us know. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.